Thrash It Out is sponsored by the warrior souls who battle for eternity in Valhalla. <laughs> no, just kidding. It is, of course, sponsored by you lovely listeners out there, not by sponsors or advertisers, because we are a 100% independent and unbiased show funded directly by our listeners through Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash thrash it out to make your pledge and help us keep thrashing unless you actually are a warrior soul battling for eternity in Valhalla, in which case it's fine, you can listen for free. This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we are listening to the 2016 masterpiece from Amanamarth, Yams Viking. Yeah, released this year. Is this the newest album we've done on the show? You know what? Uh, it, well, it is the newest album as of, of this particular recording. Last year we did the Armored Saint album, which had come out in 2015. So I think we're good for one album of the current year in each season <laughs> right. so far, in each, uh, <laughs> in each volume. So, um, but yeah, definitely the newest album we've done yet for sure. And both your choices as well. I feel terrible about that. Well, we just came from the eighties, right? And you know, I could always go back to the eighties. That that's my sort of default is to always pick an eighties album, but, uh, this album as we'll get into in a few minutes, made such an impression on me that I felt like we had to discuss it. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I was, you're right, we'll get it, obviously get into this in more detail later, but I was a little surprised that you chose this, you know, that like, because it has only been out a few months and I hadn't really heard you talking about it much. I mean, you mentioned on the uh, Facebook page discussion that, you know, that you were enjoying it. But yeah, I was a little surprised that you liked it so much that you wanted to to do it for the next episode. Well, the crazy thing is, is like we, this has been an, just thinking about the past like 15 months in metal. We had an album from Slayer, right? Come out at the end of last year. And then this year we've gotten Anthrax, Megadeth, Suicidal Tendencies, and now Metallica, I mean, that's a pretty unbelievable stretch of metal releases when you think. And there's been plenty of albums that have been littered throughout that as well. Gojira just came out with a new album. Like, there's some amazing albums that have come out over the past year and change. And for this, for me, with this album, it was one of those things where, I don't know who turned me on to it, but Amanamarth wasn't a band that was really on my radar in terms of uh, listening to them consistently or even having any of their albums or anything like that. But it was one of those things where slowly throughout the year, I j- it just kept sort of creeping up in my consciousness. And as we get towards the end of this year, it started to become an album that was sort of overtaking what I thought earlier in the year would be my albums of the year. And so as, right. as we kind of... As we kind of get into it, we can talk about that, but I, I feel very confident now after having given the Metallica album several listens at this point um, and revisiting some of my favorites of the year. This is hands down, far and away, my favorite album of 2016 by far. Wow. Wow. All right. And we'll get to the Metallica album after uh, a bit of follow-up. Um, I, I, I will just quickly say, I think, certainly for me, my first exposure to this was when somebody, and forgive me, I can't remember who, but one of our listeners posted the video to First Kill, which yep. I think was the first single from this album, on our Facebook page. Um, 
And quite a few people were like, oh, what's that? That's good. Um, so, so that was certainly my first exposure to it. I don't know if it was yours. But I it believe well it was been, mine yeah. as well. And I was like, holy crap, I need to dig more into this this album specifically. But Because I knew of Amon Amarth. Like, I'm, you can't listen to metal over the past decade and not have at least heard their name, you know? Right, right. Well, and that was the case with me. Like, I had heard of them. I knew they were a, a thing that existed, but I wouldn't have been able to, you know, pick them out in a lineup. And I couldn't honestly say that I had knowingly listened to any of their songs. That's not to say that I hadn't. You know, they may have been on like a TV video rotation channel or something at some sure. point, but I couldn't say, oh, yes, I've heard this track by them or whatever. Um, so this was effectively really my first exposure to them. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, okay, so let's quickly do some follow-up from last episode. Uh, some um, some old, old friends of mine, my old sort of school friends and, you know, circle, I, which I mentioned in the last episode uh, in terms of my sort of Halloween, sorry, Halloween fandom, um, got in touch, actually. They don't listen to the show, but I mentioned, uh, or not regularly anyway, but I mentioned that we'd covered it on the show and a couple of them go, listen, and one of them reminded me that uh, it was actually a mutual friend of ours. Uh, we all went to, well, not all, but I went to a different high school to most of those friends of mine. Um, but we'd all gone to the same, you know, sort of middle schools and stuff. That's how we knew one another. And it turns out that at their high school, it was one of their friends, a guy who I sort of knew as well, who introduced them to Halloween. His name was Steve Langdon. And I, I very much doubt that he or anybody who knows him is listening to this show. But just in case, thanks, Steve, because <laughs> you introduced all of us to Halloween. And, you know, we've all become, we all became firm fans as a result. Uh, and following on from that, uh, something that happened just after the last show is the announcement of this Pumpkins United Holy tour. crap. Yeah, which is Halloween touring with Michael Kiska and Kai Hansen for the first time since they all broke up, really. It's right. just crazy. Um, there have been no actual announcements as of time of recording of dates, um, you know, on the tour or, or even venues. They've just said that it'll be a European-wide tour. Uh, but rest assured, I am watching developments of that with great interest because as i said on the show one of my great regrets is that i never saw halloween with kiska and obviously it won't be the same a reunion is not the same as having seen them in their prime but nevertheless i don't care i will be there i've never seen them at all and so i am super excited because i think that tour did i think they said it was worldwide right i think they're doing oh really uh, the right. dates all over the place and so i'm, I'm just hoping that there's a anywhere near me that there's a, a place where I can catch them because that is really, that is a gift to be able to see them with these singers and relive a lot of these classics. And man, the, the response to that episode was akin to, I think the response to like our twisted sister episode. It was one of those albums that I think people who were not either super familiar with it or didn't have a fondness for it tended to want to sort of dismiss out of hand, but it won a lot of people over and it was really uh, it was really great to see. So just a couple of responses. So on the Facebook page, Jack Lawrence William Chambers said, this was way more Iron Maiden-y than I was expecting. Uh, he said, I tend not to like the very 80s, very high vocals, but I was totally swept up in these albums. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And then you have uh, Kenneth White said, halfway through, but had to stop painting 
to say that this is clearly the best 13 minute metal song because and he put uh the rhyme of the ancient mariner from iron maiden we had <laughs> <Yeah>. talked about <laughs> you know the epics that halloween has on both of those albums and uh and halloween being i thought probably the greatest 13 minute epic ever and there was some disagreements with that. Uh, Jack Lawrence, William Chambers said, <laughs> "Inevitably, <laughs> my pick, uh, my pick for best thirteen-minute epic would be Deliverance by Opeth." I'm trying to see if we got any. Uh, oh no! And then you chimed in with, of course, which one was it? Because I can't see the link on it. It was um, the Crown of Sympathy from Turn Loose the Swans by My Dying Bride. The right, album which we covered the My should Dying come Bride as no surprise to anybody. Here. Right, exactly. Uh, on that one. <laughs> well, uh, and I could have easily picked one of like, you know, a dozen neurosis songs or something as well, <laughs> which are all incredibly long. One of my favorite pieces of feedback from that episode, Andrew Salmon said, I kept thinking, God, Brian, shut up about Queensryche already. <laughs> generally followed by, <laughs> generally followed by, I mean, he's definitely correct though, because I must right. have compared Queensryche <laughs> to them probably about 15 times during that episode. So that was great. Uh, Lenny Reed said, I'm getting a little weirded out at the success rate of this podcast. I commented after the last episode that I wasn't enthusiastic about listening to one Halloween album, never mind two. Now I'm a click away from owning both, and I'm almost at the end of a three-hour podcast about them. (laughs) (laughs) To which I think our response is mission accomplished, right? Yep, pretty much, pretty much. And then you and I had talked about putting together a playlist of the sort of story-related songs from both of those albums, and so you had posted a snapshot of what that basically look like when you just stuck them together. Now, did you give that a few listens through? I did. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really difficult, obviously for me, because I know both of those albums so well anyway, uh, that it's kind of, I don't know. It's just, it's really difficult to sort of assess it by itself, but as a, you know, effectively 40 minute mashed up cobbled together album, it works, man. It really works. Yeah. I, I, I agree, and I, I've also give those a listen, and I think that I, I wouldn't want to disclude any of the other songs, as we kind of talked about, but it totally works as a playlist. Yeah. Uh, Phil Toretto said, just finally getting to listen, worth the wait nearly three hours of T.O. Just wanted to comment on the Queensryche comparison as perhaps as perhaps the resident Riker. He said, they're my all-time favorite band. He said, so many of my metal friends can't understand my ambivalence toward Halloween, knowing my obsession with the Reich, especially early Reich. I don't understand it myself. But your comment about nobody really dislikes Halloween rings true. I've casually listened to them for decades and I don't dislike them and absolutely hear the similarities to early Queensryche, but Halloween just never captured me like Queensryche did or does. So I thought that was interesting because I think people feel that way sometimes about Queensryche too. Right, yeah. Yeah, and and about lots of bands. And I I, th- I mean, I think that's, on on the one hand, that's kind of good. You know, if if you're happy to, if you produce music that everybody's happy to listen to, even if they don't get excited about. On the other hand, you know, speaking as a as a creator and as an artist, you do kind of want strong reactions. You know, I sometimes think I would rather have, you know, uh, half the people love my stuff and half the the other half absolutely hate it, right. rather than everybody just go meh. Um, so, you know, that is a bit of a, that can be a bit of a problem, but I think most of these bands that we talk about in that sense do have that real hardcore fan base who are absolutely crazy about the stuff. So they do at least benefit from having, you know, a a possibly small portion of the fan base who absolutely do love it. Right. And, and when we'll talk about Metallica in a second, I mean, that, that love or hate is the emotional investment of like both sides of that equation. Right. And usually that hate comes from 
a lot of times a uh, sort of a place where you got off of that band, you know, and and are are sort of bitter about where they're at now. And we'll certainly talk about that with Metallica. Darren Gleaton said, "Is this an all right time to mention that Future World might be my favorite song on either parts?" <laughs> he said, "He said I could see myself out," which I thought was awesome because that tune is so catchy. It's just we talked oh, it about really it during is, the show, yeah, but it's yeah. really it just gets in your head and it, and it won't go away. And uh, Powell said, man, I'm really having a tough go getting through this one. Just so campy. He said, I'm going to eat my metal vegetables, though. So more to follow when I'm done. Uh, he says, I take breaks with typo negative. Which is kind of funny. So uh, more power to you. I cannot do that. If I am listening to an album, even if I don't like it, I can't go take a break with another band. I had a real tough time with that, with the Metallica stuff. I had to give it some listens straight through a few times separate from Yom's Viking. Like I couldn't switch back and forth. If I was in the middle of a, a right. listen of Yom's Viking, I had to finish that before I could go over. So I'm actually looking forward to digging into the uh, Metallica album even more now, which I guess is probably a good segue to a ginormous thread that we have on our Facebook page right now about hardwired to self-destruct. Of course, the new Metallica album that dropped last week. And it is quite the discussion topic over on the thrash it out Facebook page. Yes, it is. Uh, so again, let's just quickly, before we get to that, let's quickly finish off. Uh, I just want to quickly mention, we had an email from listener Chris Powell uh, inquiring about Testament. And as we've mentioned several times, we are definitely going to do Testament at some point because oh, we both yeah. like Testament. Um, what I find interesting about the email from Chris is that he didn't name the early sort of so-called classic albums, um, which you'd expect most diehard Testament fans you know, to sort of say, oh, when are you going to do the legacy or whatever? Um, but he actually named their sort of later, much more death metal focused records, um, which I really like. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, I don't know what album we'll cover. Who knows whether I'll choose it or you cho- you'll choose it, but we will definitely get to Testament at some point. Um, I feel like Testament it, is a band that we each sort of have in our back pockets at this point. And right, I remember yeah. early on in our discussions, like you you talking about Testament, and I'm always thinking to myself, like, I'm going to let Anthony choose the Testament album that we do. But then, <laughs> you know, they just put out Brotherhood of the Snake, and it's getting very good reviews. And I haven't listened to it yet. I need to I need to get it. No, and I another need to, I actually. to spend some time with it. But my... Uh, Testament is a band that I probably like some albums that maybe other people don't think are their best. Like I have a real affinity for Souls of Black, um, right. real, which uh, some people are not super fond of. So, um, so, but we will absolutely do Testament. The toughest part with a band like Testament or any of these, you know, longtime bands that we talk about is choosing the one album that we're going to talk about. Right, right, which is actually relevant to the Metallica discussion. I'll come back to that in a second. I just want to also mention, uh, Chris also mentioned King Diamond and Dream Theater. Uh, those, I can absolutely guarantee you, will be Brian's call. Oh, uh, hell yeah. We, we will <laughs> if absolutely... anybody's going to choose those, because I wouldn't even know where to start. So, <laughs> And I didn't either. It was really when we started doing this show, I th- I don't know what got me. Oh, you know what? Maybe it was seeing him live when I saw King Diamond live. And I oh, was that's just right. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah by how amazing he still sounds and how tight the band was and all that kind of stuff. I started digging into not only his back catalog, but a lot of Merciful Fate stuff. And I, if I had to guess, I would say that it will probably be a Merciful Fate album um, at some point. But yeah, King Diamond is definitely on the docket for sure. All right. Um, so just two other quick things. First, uh, last final reminder, as it were, because the date is fast approaching, uh, that if you're in the London area on December 9th, that's a Friday, uh, a couple of weeks from now, 
or actually less than two weeks from now, uh, I am doing a signing. We're having a launch party for my graphic novel, The Coldest Winter, at Gosh Comics at number one Berwick Street, down there on the corner, starting at 7pm. So if you're in the area and you want to, you know, come along, say hi, please do. Um, maybe pick up a copy of the book, but maybe just say hi, you know. It's, uh, we, we, Brian and I both like to meet uh, listeners, so please do, you know, come along if you're around there. And um, while we're on sort of individual pluggage, one thing that we didn't, we neglected to mention in the last episode, in the Halloween episode, which we really should have, is that Brian actually had a new book out uh, in time for Halloween. So, Brian, tell us about that. Why, thank you, sir. Yes, I have a book called uh, Intrusive Thoughts, Volume 1, and it is a collection of short stories that I've written over the past handful of years. Um, Anybody who follows me on Twitter and stuff, I've been tweeting about and talking about a couple of book projects right now, and a couple of them are like very close to being done, but I wanted to have something to get out there this year for Halloween because I write horror. I'm a huge horror fan, and so this collection of stories are uh, some things that have never be- never before been released at all, a couple of stories that have been part of some themed events over the past few years that some people may have seen, but a lot of people probably didn't, and sort of all captured together. So uh, that is on Amazon now, and it's also on Drive Through Fiction if you're looking for a print copy of that. But if you go to my website, cbrianwright.com, you can get links to both of those, but all my stuff is on Amazon. So if you're a Kindle reader, you can uh, grab that. And I will have some upcoming projects to talk about, maybe even next episode. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Okay. So we can't avoid it. The uh, the elephant in the room, the 800-pound gorilla, as it were, new Metallica album. Uh, Huge, right? And, I mean, eight years. Yeah, I, right. The longest gap they've ever gone between studio albums, apparently. Doesn't um, that blow you away? I mean, when you think about, I mean, it makes you feel old, certainly, but it also, it just like, <laughs> I, I, I distinctly remember like getting Death Magnetic and really digging into that album and it does not feel like it was eight years ago right i'll tell you the thing that gets me about it being eight years uh is finding out uh recently you know all the the stories about how kirk uh kirk hammett lost his you know his tapes and tapes dude tragic uh, of riff recordings and stuff yeah and obviously he's a bit gutted about it because as a result uh there's nothing on the new album of his other than his solos and what gets me is i'm actually kind of pissed off on his behalf about that because yep. i'm like 8 years and you couldn't wait 6 months right for kirk to like you know hole himself up in a garage and come up with a whole new bunch of riffs really you know that's just i don't know that annoys me i feel like over the past several years, I've become part of the Kirk Hammett defense force. Like, and, and really, it dates back to some kind of monster, as we as we talked about. But really, right, that yeah, that yeah. was the thing that just completely changed my opinion of him. And to to have a guy who seems like he just gives everything to that band and does whatever they need him to do, not feel like he was able to contribute as much to the album is just you do you feel terrible for him because you you know. As much as they talk about, like, oh, it's not going to be as long this time, and we're going to get a new album out quicker, and blah, blah, blah. This is Metallica. So yeah, we have no yeah. idea when the next album's coming out, and, and I just hope that he does get to have that contribution uh, on well, the next effort. They could get the next one out literally twice as fast, and it would still be four years. Right. Until the next album, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That that annoyed me. Um uh, I, considering that it's been eight years, I mean, I've only listened a couple of times. Um, I will say it's the best 
sounding album i think just in terms of the sound sonic you know production yep. since uh since black or load i, I agree with you completely 100 percent um but i frankly would still rather listen to either of those albums than this one that that's my sort of hot take i think <laughs> your it's, hot take. it's fine it's okay but it nothing about it sort of blows me away nothing about it makes me go oh wow i want to listen to that again let me just read a couple of quick reactions from people on our facebook page so justin said uh so far i think it's pretty good it had some it has some kick-ass chugga chugga riffs standout tracks for me so far are confusion dream no more and moth into flame uh let's see dan davidson said i think it's great lenny said i really like it and i'm not a big metallica fan uh scott parker hall who was our resident diehard Metallica fan from day one of us doing this group. He says, uh, interesting comments so far. Being a diehard Metallica fan since uh, myself since Kill 'Em All and only having listened to it two times, I'm sorry to say that I am disappointed as of now. Now, he did return later on in the thread to say that it has grown on him with each listen, which is actually where my thought process is right now. When I first heard it, there were a few songs that stood out to me. Uh, Dream No More, of course, is the Lovecraft uh, homage there, which I think is really good. Um, I I like Revenge. Um, I'm trying to spit out the bone is really good. There are definitely some some moments that I think are standout on that album. If I had a criticism of it, it's that they still have that bluesy sort of southern twang to their sound that they picked up in the Load era, which for me is makes it very difficult for me to truly enjoy a lot of their stuff like i don't like that sound and i mentioned in in a post that i put on the page that megadeth fooled around with that for a little while as well and i just don't like that particular sound does not register well with me and so that is something that i don't think they're too heavy on it in this album but it's still there and that kind of pulls me out of it and the other thing is we still have songs on this album that are way too long oh and um the, the classic example of that for me is Halo on Fire, which is the last song on the first disc. That, to me, if they had ended it at 3 minutes and 30 seconds, would have been probably my favorite Metallica song of the past 20 years. But at that point in the song, and it's an 8-minute song, it becomes a completely different song, and it's a song I don't even like. So it goes from (laughs) being this revelation, and especially the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh my god, this is the next classic metallica like i i freaking love this song i was getting the chills listen to it and everything and then it just becomes something completely different and i just don't get that like that that sort of jam session jamming a song out and just kind of beating it until it's dead to me takes away from some of the moments that they have in some of these songs because there are some classic riffs there's definitely i think nods to their entire back catalog in these two discs for sure and uh and i just wish that sometimes they would let the moment be and not not take it three steps too far having said that this is to me the most listenable metallica album in a long time and i have been able to just continue to listen through it and now that we're gonna you know get sort of yams viking out of my mental queue i will definitely spend more time with this album for sure so i I would say to sum up overall i like it 
Um, I'm not blown away by it, but I'm, I think, as you said, it's the best sounding Metallica album in quite some time. And I think there's a lot of great moments on this album. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm yet to really sort of find those great moments, but I will, I mean, I will listen to it again for sure, because, uh, I remember I did that with load two. What was it called? Reload. Reload. Yeah. Load, not load two. Um, you know that I felt kind of the same way about that album at first, uh, and Reload I still think is kind of a pale shadow compared to Load. But uh, you know there are some tracks on it that did eventually kind of uh, you know work their hooks into me, um, and which I have come to regard as really good tracks after a few repeated listens. So I will give this a few more listens. But yeah, after just a couple of listens, I'm like, there's nothing here that makes me want to go back and listen again um it is god almost every track is too long just and i did wonder actually i was thinking because most of the area where they're too long is they have massive long solos like they've gone completely the other direction from st anger where there was no solos and now it feels like every song just stops for a three minute solo in the middle um and and i don't know whether that's actually accurate but that's what it feels like to me after a couple of listens and i did wonder if that's kind of a sop to like, oh, you know, Kirk lost all his riffs. Let's give him loads of solo time instead. But I don't know. I just they could have chopped off three minutes off of almost every song on this album, um, and you know, and then fitted it onto one disc, and the whole thing would have been better and tighter. I think. Um, I, and I think we that that's a common theme, you know, with with their later albums is that you there's a great. I, I think there's a great album in there what you get is sort of everything in the kitchen sink. And if it could have been dialed back a little bit, then I think, uh, you know, it might've been a little bit better, but some people are absolutely loving this. So Don Cardina said, I don't know if I'll write more than this, but I love it. Dream no more and spit out the bone are instant favorites. Um, let's see who else we had here. I think it was, uh, Justin Shorten said, I don't know how many listens last FM tells me nine ish. I'm really loving this album. I'm just <laughs> trying to take it as it is a new one from my favorite band. And I, I think that as you go on and please, if you haven't checked out this thread yet, like it's still ongoing, people are chiming in every day. There's, you know, videos in there. There's video reviews. I just posted the review from Sam Dunn of, um, of mm. banger TV. And he did a great job of sort of breaking down where he comes to the album from. He was born in 74 as I was. And so we come to Metallica from a very sort of similar place. And, uh, and one of his biggest uh, problems with the album was Lars's drumming, which to me wasn't, I I think. Oh yeah, no, I think this is one of Lars's best performances in years. Agreed. And I think that, um, you know, for me, he, he, I, I think you can always have a conversation about where the drums are in the mix, but in terms of his drums on this album, like I think the kit sounds good. I think I think overall the drums are fine. Um, you know, as we just talked about, for me it was more about some of the song length and uh, in that particular sound that they that they still have from the load era that doesn't really doesn't really hit me that great. But of course, the conversation then at one point turned to Lars's drumming, and there was a great article I think from Metal Sucks, which was about someone making the case for Lars being a great drummer. And that picked off that kicked off a whole other sort of discussion about what he brings to the band and, and why what some people dismiss as his, his sort of lack of skill is actually his uh, sort of improvisational style that people should give him more credit for. 
Right. Well, there's the old Johnny Cash line that uh, I think it was Johnny Cash anyway, which is um, that, you know, technique is just like all the things you can't do. Um, And that's what defines your style. And, you know, you could say that about Lars. And I said this on the thread. I'll say it on the show. We give Lars a lot of shit on this. You know, we joke about his drumming and stuff. But the fact is, I have always been really glad because Metallica came out of the sort of post-punk Noobum era. And I am really glad that there is still somebody for all his faults, that there is still somebody in that band who retains that kind of almost punkish attitude towards the music and towards his playing, uh, and that Lars does not sound like any other metal drummer. That is a strength. That is not I agree. a weakness, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I was listening to some of their back catalogue, not only as I was listening to Hardwired, but as I was listening to Yams Viking, because there's a couple very specific songs on that album that I think are very reminiscent of some Metallica stuff. And man, the Black Album sounds so good. And I wasn't even a huge... That is not one of my favorite Metallica albums, but the sound on that album and Lars's drums on that album just sound absolutely fantastic and heavy oh, the, and it's kind of the ultimate drum sound like i, think, is, I feel like yeah ev- every album since then every metal album since then has tried to get that sound <laughs> yeah there's a there's a a strength to the impact that to his sort of hitting the skins and emphasizing different pieces of the song that really jumps out at you immediately when you start listening to that again so that was kind of cool to go back and listen and i think he has a lot of that on this new album i think my favorite thing about this new album from them is that it sounds full. You can hear the bass and it has a bottom to it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can hear the bass for a Metallica album, right? you know, it, it, uh, but it has a bottom to it. And from, and that's always my favorite. That's my favorite element of metal is when the bass really jumps out. And so I feel like it, the album feels big. Uh, And the other thing that I like about the album is that, it feels like they're having fun playing this music. And I don't know how to describe it other than that. But like when you listen to St. Anger, I mean, it's called St. Anger for crying out loud, but you can almost feel the, the, the sort of um, the, the angst in it, but not, but there's not a lot of joy in that album. You oh, know, no, there's that, not, a, that was a pa- clearly a painful yeah, album exactly. for them to, to get out. Yeah. And then with death magnetic, they, it was kind of the, we have something to prove album, right? So they, you know, they're trying to show people that they still have this energy and they still have this, uh, they still have the ability to be very heavy and really, uh, and, and be listenable at the same time. And so with death magnetic, still, I didn't hear a lot of joy in that album. In this album here, I feel like, which I guess harkens back to the load era of stuff. Like I, I feel like they are a little bit more loose, um, but not in a way that completely destroys any structure of the song. It just feels like they're having fun playing this stuff. And and I think that translates to me as I listen to it and it makes it more listenable to me. I guess. Um, I mean, one of the, maybe that factors into one of the problems that I have with it uh, is it doesn't feel angry no uh and one of the things i like about a lot of early metallica is that it is really fucking angry music um and even when they're doing you know sort of like the 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 storytelling stuff like creeping death and what have you you know uh or it's the songs that aren't sort of politically charged there is still an aggression and an anger there um and james's voice 
over the years especially, and I don't know whether this, to be fair, he's gotten a lot older, people's voices change as they get older, you know, this may be for sort of health reasons in terms of keeping his voice, you know, going. Um, He just doesn't have that aggression and anger in his voice anymore when he sings, and I think that's a real shame. That's one of the biggest... Uh, sort of, you know, downsides of recent Metallica for me. I think he had it in St. Anger, but not on Death Magnetic and definitely not on this album. He sounds like a singer singing somebody else's songs. Huh. Uh, and that to me is, you know, that's not what you want from Hetfield uh, or from anyone, but certainly not from Metallica and Hetfield. And I think actually... Uh, and this does relate to uh, what we're going to talk about uh, shortly, Um, it's helped me kind of realise that, because I was trying to sort of put my finger on it, think like, what is it? Why, you know, and then I realised, oh, it's like they don't sound aggressive. It doesn't sound like he means it. Um, And I realised that this is kind of a a preference of mine that I perhaps wasn't really conscious of before. But since having this realisation, I'm now very conscious of it, is I have a really big preference for um, what I'll call natural growlers or natural screamers. And what I mean by that is people who sound like they are shouting and emoting and expressing and that's why they're screaming or shouting or growling in their vocals. Um, early Hetfield sounded like that. Oh, for um, sure. Uh, Chester Bennington from Linkin Park, when he screams, not when he's sure. doing his clean vocals, when he screams, again, sounds the same. He sounds like it's he's screaming because he's angry, because he's expressing. Lemmy, for heaven's sake, throughout his entire career, you know, never sang clean in his life. But every growl sounded that it was because he was angry and he meant it. and. James's stuff just doesn't sound like that on this album. And I realise that that's an issue I have with a lot of, uh, I don't want to call them fake screamers or fake growlers, because that's not fair, but that kind of uh, professional growlers almost, you know, because there is such technique to it now. You can go to schools, you can do classes to learn how to scream and you know, do the false fry vocals and the false chord screams and stuff for metal music because it's such a thing now. And a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of the vocalists that come out of that just don't, to me, have character. They, It's a bit like uh, producers who use um, trigger tracks and stuff and then substitute, uh, you know, the cabinets and amps and live speakers and stuff for just you know their own software so that most of the albums they make just the guitars all sound the same regardless of what guitar the musician is actually playing i can't tell you how many times that i almost blew my voice out trying to practice the vocals for a monomarth in the car on my way to and from work. So it is absolutely a skill that you have to develop because I, I I i do not have that yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not sort of, uh, you know, you absolutely need to develop the sort of the ability to do it, but I think there is a, a difference between the way it's done with vocalists. And, you know, as I say, I've only just sort of consciously realised this, that my preference f- quite firmly 
falls down on the side of... Uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot is another one who is like... He's a really deep, clearly sort of skilled growler, but he still sounds like he's emoting through it and like he means it. Um, I can't really sort of, you know, put it any more no, specific No, I, I think that, that's but, clear. Uh, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, what the heck did I want to... Oh, I want... This is what I wanted to say. You know, to, to bring the Metallica thing you know, back around. I think that where we, Don Cardenas, I want to say was the one that posted on the thread about like, he came to Metallica during though maybe not came to Metallica, but like that the load era Metallica is something that he kind of came to. And that's why he has a strong preference for that particular sound. Right. And then well, you have we've got your, to remember that load was nearly 20 years ago. Right? In fact, it was more than 20 years ago. So, you know, and if you're not an old fart like us, you, well, then. speaking of old farts, your buddy David said, I have no idea what album you guys are listening to because I <laughs> yeah. still hate it. And, yeah. and, but, and so I think about that and I, and in watching Sam Dunn's uh, review of that album as well, and he kind of touched on that as well. It's so hard to review a Metallica album, right? It's so hard to, um, not compare it to everything else that has come before. I really do feel like they're they're a band along with all of the big four. Well, maybe not Slayer because they haven't changed much over the years. But when you came to them, is going to completely determine like your your preference for their sound. And I, and I just think that the that era of Metallica, you know, up through Injustice for All, and and you could debate whether or not you want to include the Black Album in that is over. And it's never coming back, and mm-hmm. it will never be that way again, even though there might be nods to it as you get in the first and last song on this album. Um, there are there are songs that are reminiscent of it. There are moments in certain songs that recapture some of it, but that Metallica is never coming back. And I think for longtime Metallica fans, if that disappoints you and that makes you bitter towards their new stuff, like it, it's best to get off the ride now because they're not that's never coming back like that that, get off that train because this is a one-way trip exactly what they're they're only going to get they're never going back to that sound and and that is disappointing as someone who at the at that time most definitely felt like they were one of the greatest bands of all time and and many people will argue they still are but that that era is so far gone now that it they have been not like that much longer than they were like that Right. You know, yes. there were four albums in the 80s that defined what many of us longtime metalheads consider to be Metallica sound. They have not been that band for over 20 years. And so, in some ways, it's unfair to continue to compare them to that sound because they haven't, they just haven't been that band in a long, long time. Um, yeah. And, but, I- but yet, every time a new album comes out, the first thing I think as a longtime Metallica fan is, can we get Ride the Lightning too? Can we get Master of Puppets? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. does it does it at least get me back to that time between Injustice for All and the Black Album? Like, is there but, enough there for me to hold on to to make this an album that goes into my regular rotation? You just made me realize. Okay, so there were four albums in the course of seven years. Yep, I think, uh, and then since then there have been six albums over the course of 25 years. Right. Like, you know, if you use the Black... If you have the Black Album as the start of their modern era, there have been, yeah, six or seven albums over the course of the last 25 years. Uh, And yet, yeah, as you say, and yet 
people like us focus on those four albums that came out in their first seven years of existence. It's when you put it like that, it's kind of sobering, isn't it? It is. Well, and, and imagine the, I mean, granted when you're billionaires, it's, I guess it's hard to feel that same kind of pressure, but think about the pressure on each one of those albums. You know what I mean? They come out with a new album every eight years now or something like that, six, eight years. The amount of expectations that go into Every single thing that they put out is just crazy. You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah, and but that's kind of a, they've made a rod for their own back. If they didn't, if they put albums out more frequently, oh, sure. there would be less pressure, <laughs> right? You can have a shitty album and you can move past it. I mean, look at yeah. uh, look at some of the other bands out there. I mean, it, it, we just had in uh, 2013, Megadeth put out their second worst album ever in Super Collider. I mean, it was right. It was, but you knew there was going to be another one along in two years. Every time. couple of years, yeah, two to maybe three years on the outside, and then they come out with Dystopia, which is you know hailed almost universally as a complete, you know, uh, return to what people would like to hear from Megadeth, and even a few surprises along the way. And so, it, it's a lot easier to recover from those missteps when you're when you're coming out every two to three years with new stuff. Absolutely, I just realized Metallica are the Doctor Who of metal. They really are. <laughs> The only thing is, like, with Doctor Who, that, you, you know, whichever Doctor Who you grew up with, that's your favorite yes. because that that's your Doctor. Yep, and we're the Tom Baker fans of uh, yeah. of Metallica. That's basically our Metallica is the Tom Baker, More like John Pertwee. Yeah, exactly right. Um, uh, you're absolutely right, uh, and unfortunately, you know, the one the, the nice thing about Doctor Who fans is they that was always an expectation that the Doctor's going to change and that you're going to roll with whatever the new one is, and there'll be a new one along if you don't like that one. Uh, Metallica fans, in a lot of ways, are less forgiving than yeah. uh, than Doctor. I think fans. metal fans in general are a lot less forgiving yeah. of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, all uh, right, all right. So let's let's move on. Um, you know, I I know some of our listeners will be disappointed that we, in fact, we just had a discussion about this on the Facebook page uh, that we are not going to devote an entire uh, episode to the new Metallica album. But you know, that's because there are many many other albums that we do want to cover, um, and we are not a you know, new albums review show. So no, tough. and the other thing too is, and, and I don't know if we've mentioned this in a while, but for those that maybe were not listening from the very, very beginning of this podcast, the sort of goal going in was that we would do one album from each band until such a time, if it ever comes down the road, where we've sort of made it through most of the things that we want to cover, and we are thinking about going back and, and revisiting some of those bands. And so that's why we're not covering every new album from these bands that comes out, because we did a big four. We started with the big four. And so even though St. Anger may not be the Metallica album that you wanted us to cover on this show, you can go back and listen to that St. Anger episode, and that was the Metallica album that we're covering until such time as we decide to revisit some bands and you know, it, right. if we did do that, the big four would probably be in the conversation of bands that we might revisit. Oh, of course. And we did spend a lot of time in that first episode talking about other Metallica stuff, you oh, know, for talking sure. about Metallica in general. So it's not like we've never mentioned mm-hmm. their other albums. Um, so, okay. So let's move on to Amonomath, Yom's Viking. Um, as I said, I had heard of them, but I'd never knowingly heard anything by them until whoever it was. Uh, thank you, a listener that, whose name we can't remember, uh, <laughs> posted that uh, video of First Kill to our Facebook page. Um, but one of the things that I picked up on when that happened, and I think you may recall this, was I noticed that it was yet another modern album produced by Andy Sneap. Oh, I am so glad you started there, because <laughs> my, here's my first note about this album. 
Andy Sneap is a god. Pretty much. He is yep, a freaking much. god. I pulled. Let's just look at the past couple years of Andy Sneap. He has worked with Except. Obviously, he's worked with Amon and Marth. He produced the album that we just reviewed, Exodus's Blood In, Blood Out, which, if you remember, was hailed by all of us who listened to that album as sounding maybe the best a metal album has sounded in a very long time. Uh, right. Kill Switch Engage, Disarm the Descent, Megadeth. Uh, he did United Abominations. He did Endgame. He did 13. Overkill. He is producing their new album. Uh, which is called The Grinding Wheel, which is going to be out in February, which I cannot freaking wait for. Saxon, he just did their Battering Ram album, which, if you have not listened to, sounds absolutely freaking phenomenal, and Biff Byford is like 64 years old. Uh, Testament, he did Dark Roots of the Earth. He did Brotherhood of the Snake, which just came out. I mean, this guy is all over the metal scene for well over a decade. I mean... Oh, and, and more, and, and more. more. He's been around. Andy Sneap, for a, a lot of people don't know that he is also a musician. Um, he mainly plays in Hell these days, right. having taken over. Um, I think he's, he might have started as sort of as a junior in Hell. Um, and then he formed Sabbat with Martin Marquier and uh, Simon Negus and a few others. And uh, I realized a while ago and i i've sort of been waiting for a chance to kind of slip this in into the show so i'm going to mention it now i realized a while ago i actually owe andy sneep quite a debt because i realized that um sabbat came to my attention when a lot of people a lot of listeners know you and i are both role players yes uh and i used to read the games workshop magazine white dwarf as did almost every other role player in britain at one point and Many years ago, in 1987, bizarrely, the only time they ever did this, as far as I'm aware, uh, they released a flexi disc. Now, for the young ones, a flexi disc is a piece of acetate printed with like grooves, like a vinyl record, uh-huh. but it's flexible acetate, hence flexi disc. And the sound quality is abysmal. I mean, it's really, really just terrible. It, you know, we knew that even at the time compared to vinyl, it was terrible. But it was a cheap way of distributing uh, a record because you could, because acetate obviously is so thin and flexible, you could put it inside magazines. And so people did. And White Dwarf put out a flexi disc of a song called Blood for the Blood God, which any gamer will know is, uh, you know, a slogan from Warhammer. Um, and it was about the Warhammer universe. This was a song about, you know, like a Halloween uh, mythological track or something. Yep. Um, this was a song about the Warhammer universe by this band called Sabbat. And it's a sort of um, six or seven minute thrash metal epic uh, with, you know, multiple movements, tempo changes, time signature changes, key changes, or, you know, just like 50 riffs in the song. It's ridiculous. Um, pages and pages of lyrics as well. Uh, and that was the first proper thrash metal song that I ever heard. I just, I realised the other day, I was like, oh my God, that was my introduction to thrash metal, was that, record in 1987 and i remember that because in the editorial they printed discussing the song uh, there was a lot of stuff about the band and there was a lot of stuff about metal 
you know, for readers who might not be metal listeners. Um, but one of the things they mentioned was that this was a, a new form of, uh, you know, of metal called thrash, which is sweeping the world, uh, and mentioned that it has all these, you know, time signature changes and long songs and tempo changes and all this sort of stuff. And I, and I listened to it and I was like, this is great. I want more of this. And lo and behold, that was, you know, the start of my journey into proper thrash. And I hadn't really realised that until quite recently. Um, and yeah, and Andy Sneap was the sort of uh, the musical songwriter and founder member of Sabbath, along with Martin Welkier, who was the lyricist and vocalist. And he went on to form Skyclad, which became one of my favourite bands in the 90s. So yeah, I just like, nothing to do with Amon Amarth, but really, Andy Sneap, he's been around for ages and he's had such an influence on the world of metal without yet, a doubt and yet outside of sort of hardcore fandom most people probably have no idea who he is i mean his ability uh, it, really as a producer mixer and engineer like amazing absolutely like we talked about uh with the def leopard album mutt lang who to me right. of that era when you look at about a 10-year period of time of albums that he produced are some of the greatest sounding rock and metal albums of all time. Andy Sneap is right there. When you look at what he, the sound that he is able to bring out of these bands and how full it is, that's, uh, that's what I love about the albums that he, that he works on is that they just sound so complete. And that's one of the things that immediately stood out to me. It made me look up who who produced this album because it sounded so freaking good, top to bottom, that you can't help but pay attention to it. And uh, the crazy thing is, you mentioned 1987. Does it surprise you that five years later, Amon and Marth was formed? They've been around since 1992. Right, yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? It is. It is kind of amazing, especially because... This is kind of the late to the party episode, right? This is the, this is the, (laughs) you know, here (laughs) we are. This is their 10th album, I think. Which is crazy, right? I mean, here we are in 2016 talking about this is our first proper Amon and Marth album that we've really sat down and and dug into. And so uh, it's just amazing. This band's been around for a super long time and and they've put out a ton of albums and here we are sort of just coming to them. That, That always kind of blows me away, especially when I consider myself a pretty well-versed metal fan to to well sure but i mean the flip side is you know you'd never heard a paradise lost record that's before, true yep. you know and they've been around just as long um so yeah you know it's some bands are always going to slip through people's awareness especially as we go in and out of you know being more or less into the scene as it were um but yeah it is you know if, if anybody else like us sort of hasn't heard them and maybe thought that they were a relatively new band. No, <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> well, and even like, how many bands do you think of as, uh, this makes me laugh, how many bands do we think of as new that we actually find out have been around since like the early 90s? Because you just have right, this perpetual, yeah. like everything after my initial group of bands that I grew up listening to is new to me, right? Y- yeah. So like, yeah. oh, who are these kids of Marth that have, you know, just burst onto the scene? Since 1992, <laughs> which was the year I graduated high school, they've been around. So, right, yeah. anything post Black Album is like, oh, that's new stuff for the kids, <laughs> right? Exactly. And so, uh, it's just funny when you go back and look at some of that stuff. But yeah, they have been around for a very long time. And uh, what's interesting about this album that I thought was reminded me a bit of Metallica is here is an album 
that some of their longtime hardcore fans have had a bit of a backlash to in terms oh, of really? them. Uh, there, there's been, you know, the old, and you get this with every single band, right? Oh, they sold out. You know, they, they got away from their harder and heavier stuff to be more radio friendly and blah, 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 blah. And it's, as I read some of the articles and some of the interviews about this particular album, there has been a bit of a backlash for them of this album in terms of it being not necessarily a departure, but almost like a, a more radio friendly version of the sound that some of their fans, you know, grew up loving from them. That's that's kind of ironic because okay there are, there are two main problems I have with this album. One is that uh, although you know the production and the mixing and everything is very full and sounds good, it's not distinctive. Uh, vocals aside, if you take the vocals out, this could be one of a hundred, any one of a hundred modern bands. You know, there is nothing about the guitar tone or the drum sound that sounds at all distinctive, which is a little disappointing. Um, and regarding being commercial, I actually think this whole album is, there is nothing technically wrong with it. And I enjoy listening to it, but there is something, some magic ingredient just kind of missing for me. And I know you really love it and you clearly love it a lot more than me. I've really struggled to put my finger on what that missing element is. For me, there are three sort of uh, A-list tracks on this album, if you like, and then a load of B-list tracks. Uh, well, and one D-list, but we'll get to that. You know what's um, amazing about this show and just these conversations in general? I feel the exact opposite of those things that you just mentioned. <laughs> I feel like the guitar tone is some of the best I've heard since the heyday of Dokken. Oh, it I feel sounds like, good, I feel but like it just sounds drums, like so many other bands at the moment. The drums, to me, are just heavenly. I, I, I just absolutely love everything about the drums, mm. and I feel like this album, top to bottom, is uh, every song is just a standout for me. But it, it all although there good. is one, just, which we'll talk about, there is one well, song I wonder, that, I, that I... I wonder if it's the same one. It probably um, is, uh, but we'll see when we get to it. But yeah, it just doesn't sound distinctive like yeah the drums sound great but they sound like a hundred other modern drum sounds uh and i just found that a little you know disappointing but the other thing i was going to say you're talking about them sort of selling out and going commercial is so many of those b-list tracks for me could be awesome with just a few tweaks that I recognize most people would regard as like, oh, well, now you're just trying to make it sound more commercial. But if they just did that, you know, a couple of times to some of these tracks, then I think I would have been way more favorable towards this album. It's It felt like an album of lost opportunities, missed opportunities to me, uh, for the most part. As I say, there's a few standout tracks, which are great. But most of the album, I kept thinking, oh, if only, if only. You know that I am prone to hyperbole when it comes to albums that I really like, but honestly, I can say <laughs> I can say that this is a Desert Island album for me. I wow, have probably really? listened to this album 50 times over the past month. I've literally not stopped listening to it except to give the Metallica album a couple of listens when I first got it. It has been in my car constantly. It has been with me at work constantly. Um I just can't stop listening to it. I can't I can't even tell you I cannot remember the last album that I could not stop listening to to this degree. 
I was actually trying to think about it the other day, and I can't even remember. It might be Rust in Peace from Megadeth. Wow. In terms of an album that I just, I will just listen to it for the rest of my life. Like, that's how much, this this group in this album was a complete revelation to me. Like, the first couple times I listened to it, it didn't, it didn't stand out to me. You know, there was a couple of songs, I, the energy stood out to me, but it didn't click with me. But man, somewhere along the way, this album just locked in with me and I could not get rid. You know what? It it might have been when I really had a long car drive and just gave it a good solid listen front to back. And when the Doro Pesh song came on, uh, Dream That Cannot Be, that basically put that on my all-time list like immediately like that <laughs> and we'll talk about that song when we get to it but holy crap that was like uh, and I, I think the other thing too is we've talked about a couple of concept albums on this show that to me instantly makes me more interested in an album as soon as you tell me that there's a story that it's telling it, right you know being a a D nerd growing up we just talked about role playing being a D nerd being a metalhead being a uh, person who likes to create stories, but also consume them all the time. When you tell me that this record tells me a story, I'm in right there. So then when the record is good on top of it, forget it like that. That just, uh, <laughs> it, it, it carries me through some of the songs that maybe are not as standout as the best songs on this album, because I'm mentally following along that story. And I really like the way this album kind of, goes out and comes back in and that I, I like the flow of it in terms of the the overall story um right so yeah yeah I, I i can i can understand that to a degree i'm a bit like that with um you know sort of prog rock concept albums uh you know even something like say lamb lies down on broadway from genesis you know great classic you know almost a definitive prog rock concept album it has some weak tracks you know it there's no denying it has some weak tracks and yeah you do forgive them because you know that they're leading you on to another great track and through the story so i can i can understand that for sure um i wish the storytelling in this was a little better um but given you know i'm I'm loath to criticize that too much given what we were saying last time about the Halloween albums and how, you know, even though they're presented as concept albums, they're barely even <laughs> a story throughout them at all. So, you know, I don't want to uh, focus too much on that, but I did feel there's a couple of places where I'm like, I have no idea what's going See, on here. <laughs> I agree with you. And I, and I was actually thinking about that this morning before we started recording. I, I don't know if I like that or if I, because part of me thinks like, okay, if this story was super clear all the way through, would I like it less because my mind is not constantly churning about fitting these pieces together? And I think the same thing about Halloween in that way. There is that. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the, I do think, though, that it could be a little bit clearer because I think what I take away from this album is it's sort of um, – it, it, it is truly a concept album in that most of the songs are about particular concepts. And there is a narrative that weaves through it, but it is not a clear or straight-line narrative uh, through this. There are sort of like – groups of ideas that these songs are sort of uh glomming onto and we could talk about that as we go through the tracks but yeah i do i feel like it could be a little bit clearer because i get the overall gist of the story but there are questions that i still have but then there's another part of me that likes the questions because it invites interpretation of you know exactly what 
what's happening in bits and pieces of the narrative. Right. I, and I think we talked about that last time with the Halloween album, talking about, um, you know, the, our experiences as role players, where it's actually good in some instances to kind of leave gaps and let players fill in the gaps for themselves. Uh, and that's, you know, you, you can relate that to listening to a concert album where, yeah, it doesn't tell you everything and it does invite you to try and fill in some of those gaps yourself. And that is rewarding, you know, within, in any piece of art. If you're presented with absolutely everything, uh, you know, and there are no questions about anything at all, then, you know, then you've got a CBS primetime procedural. Exactly. Uh, which, and the other thing that's Which great, can be enjoyable, but it's not, you know, that's not what I think most of us come to metal for. So <laughs> No, and uh, if you came to this album for a happy ending, you will be disappointed as well, because oh, too, yeah. th- this yeah, is yeah, a yeah. tragedy through and through. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and again, but cool, as a horror fan, as a, you know, as a, as a sort of a fantasy fan and stuff, man. Oh no, this that's is, one thing I really did appreciate yep. was that they didn't they didn't chicken out and that it it is a tragedy, yeah, yeah. Um all right, so let's let's get to it then. We're an hour in. So um track one is first kill. which I think is pretty clear in terms of its narrative. But uh, what I love about this song is that it, I think in the first minute of this song, it tells you, it announces everything that you can expect from this album. You know, just Yeah, the, I'd say that's true, apart from Doro. <laughs> right, exactly, which I think is a wonderfully kept secret. Like, I, I but we'll, you know, when we get to that, yeah. we'll go, but man, what a thunderous opening. And a great rolling, just crunchy bass line in that in that beginning, man. I just absolutely loved it when he's you know talk. Obviously, you're talking about uh, uh, a boy who's on the verge of becoming a man who kills um, sort of one of the men of the Earl when they come to take away the girl that he's fallen in love with to marry her off to whoever. So he commits a murder and has to go on the run to start this story off. And I just thought they did a great job of introducing that concept in this song. But also, when the when that song kicks in, it just has such a great emotional impact of, like, he's committed this act, and now what? You know, he acted rationally in this moment, and what has... Everything is chaos at this point, and he's now on the run. And I, I think it sets the tone for this sort of driving 
emotion throughout the album where th- there's not a lot of places in this album where they sort of take their foot off the gas pedal. And it's sort of this, this story starts with a bang and he's on the run and everything has completely fallen apart in this kid's life. And that to me was just a great open. And then with the drums, like when, when they, you know, when he says, I, I stood there watching him fade and then you, the, the sort of riff turns, man, just like breakneck speed. It doesn't even slow down. It just, it, yeah. it actually feels like it gets faster. Yeah, yeah, the drums are pretty outstanding on this track. I mean, this is, again, this is something we talk about on the show a lot. This is a good opener in terms of, uh, you know, making people aware of this is what the album's going to be. You know, setting out your stall. Uh, it does a really, really good job of that in pretty much all departments, you know, from like guitars, drums, vocals, everything. Uh, you know, it's fast, got a lot of good energy, good chorus, really good chorus, actually. One of the best choruses on the album, I think. Um, and I think it's one of the best tracks on the album. This is one of the standout tracks for me. Uh, I think it was absolutely the right choice to put musically to put this track as the opener because it is one of the strongest tracks on the album. Yeah, and then lyrically, the first man I killed was the Earl's right-hand man when he came to take her away. I ran his own sword straight through his throat, and then I stood there watching him fade. Um, come on. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> I mean, that that's an opener right there. Um, yeah, it's uh, the the one, I mean, and again, lyrically, actually, this is this is a good one because it's, you know, naturally all about the, the quote-unquote hero. Um, one criticism I do have of some of the lyrics in this is that there is sometimes too much of a focus on the quote unquote hero and not enough about everything else, like the other characters and the environment and what's actually happening. Right. Um, but it, but in this particular song, it absolutely, especially given that it's supposed to be from the perspective of a, you know, sort of, uh, teenage boy, uh, it absolutely fits that the, the the focus would be entirely on the protagonist right and the narrative here is probably as clear as it is there's only a couple songs where it's as clear as it is here like you the picture yeah. they give you here is very clear yeah absolutely no doubts whatsoever also a really good solo and you know i'm not the world's greatest guitar solo aficionado as regular listeners will know but i think this is a really good solo in this track you know what um, i love oh, about the solos on this album in general is that they are i feel like they're very efficient they fit the tone of the song like they don't in some of the songs don't even really have solos and that's kind of what i like but I don't think that takes away from any of them. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something that right. you're... there's no solos for the sake of having a solo. Yeah, and they're not like these super shreddy solos, which I don't think would be appropriate for this particular story that they're telling or these particular songs. And I, I really like the way the solos fit. And there's a couple of solos that I think really emotionally punctuate those different parts of the story, which I thought were really well. Like I, that, that's one of the things that I really love about this album is I feel like the pieces fit together really well. And, and, uh, and the solos are a place where I, I kind of, I'm like, huh, I, I like the choices they made with them. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of them are kind of forgettable. Um, but yeah, there are a few that are really good and really did stand out as like, Oh, okay. That's a really good solo that, as you say, that fits the track. Um, uh, that's actually kind of, I mean, you know, th- this song, not so much, but speaking in general, another issue, if you like, that I have with the album is that there aren't as many memorable riffs 
as I would like. And that's the same with the same as the solos. Like, you know, quite a few of the solos are kind of, you know, not so, they're not bad, but they're just not great. And they're kind of forgettable. And I feel that way, unfortunately, about some of the riffs, some of the riffs on, you know, songs here are kind of generic and, you know, just not particularly inventive. I mean, it's good in a way because it means when they are, the ones that are good and original and inventive and catchy really stand out. <laughs> I don't even but, necessarily you know, for the disagree. Wrong reasons. <laughs> I don't even necessarily disagree with you about that. I think where you and I maybe maybe it's too early to tell, but where we really differ is I feel like the drums are so good on this album that they elevate what are not maybe necessarily forgettable riffs, but not necessarily standout riffs either. Like I, I, I feel like the the drums have such control in this album and are such a driving force on this album that they, to me, that's the standout uh, instrument on this album. Like that, uh, my, my thoughts are always of the drums, the cymbal work I feel like is absolutely amazing. Um, But just the, the way that he controls tempo and, and the, even the emotional impact of certain, you know, chords and, and things like that. I just, that to me is what elevates it because you're right. Some of the songs are are chuggy, sort of, you know, run of the mill riffs, but I feel like they're executed really, really well. Oh, the execution throughout is superb. Um, it's kind of ironic that this, of course, is their first album with a guest drummer, which is uh, amazing to me. <laughs> this guy um, on this album, Tobias Gustafsson, who is in a band called uh, Vomitory. If you're looking for a great, Lovely. <laughs> a great, uh, a great death metal band, the first thing I was thinking when I was listening to this album is these guys have one of the greatest drummers I've ever heard. This guy's absolutely amazing. I do the research and find out he's a freaking session drummer, and that they didn't even lock him up to be their permanent drummer. No, they've got a different drummer now as their actual band drummer. Yeah, totally blew me away. And and I have listened to a few of their past albums, but I'm going to go back and listen to more because I I can't really speak to how amazing or run-of-the-mill their old drummer was obviously the guy that was with them i think was with them for like 17 years before you know he he left the band so uh but this guy tobias gustafson holy freaking crap i i ended up falling down the rabbit hole of watching youtube videos of like practice sessions of his and stuff like that and (laughs) jesus i think the the thing that jumped out at me is that a lot of the stuff that he plays is much faster than this so this for him feels like it is a leisurely walk in the park and, oh, right. and allows him to really emphasize certain parts of the song and stuff like that. Like I, I this is His musicality uh, yeah. as opposed to just technique. Yeah. Right. Because on some of the practice stuff that I watch, like the technique, he's so fast. And so here the emphasis seems more on the downstroke and really, you know, hitting the snare, hitting a Tom to emphasize a chord or, or, you know, so like that kind of stuff I think is really on display here um, because I listen to some of his other stuff and it's just blistering. All right. All right. uh, Let's move on. Track two is Wanderer.
Yeah, I mean, here we have the main character of the story who is sort of uh, on the run and not faring very well for himself and ends up meeting up with someone who essentially saves his life. Yeah, although it is, this is another, This I think this was the song that kind of first made me go like, wait a second, really maddening on the lyrics because there are like three verses about a fucking blizzard. But then it's crazy vague about things like, who is this wanderer and why does he care? Well, and <laughs> is this wanderer even real? Well, because, that's the other thing. Is is he an apparition? Yeah. Right, yeah. because there's a part where, uh, left alone, I had no choice but to accept my fate. When the wanderer returned, then I knew my life was saved. And so, you know, you're almost wondering to yourself, like, is he wandering through the blizzard, like, in, in almost like a feverish Right, is this delirium, state. Yeah. yeah, is he delirious? Is he is he collapsing in the snow and and you know seeing things? Is this sort of his uh, you know his sort of spiritual journey, or is right. there truly a friend that he makes out here when he thought he was completely alone in the world? And I, I agree. I mean, there's the part where it gets kind of it gets kind of vague, you know, because this is the beginning of him falling in with this band of mercenary Vikings that um, sort of becomes his new family. Uh, so yeah, and I appreciate the ambiguity. I mean, you know, as we just said, I don't mind sort of having the question of, okay, is this entire album actually playing out in like in the moments before his death, you know, in his imagination? Um, th- that's an interesting, you know, ambiguity to throw in there. But you could still have that ambiguity with just a bit more clue about, like I said, we don't even know, never mind whether he's real or not, but like, why would he even care? You know, who is the, the vagrant? Like, why? Right, who it is this vagrant, good Samaritan? This vagrant offers help when there was none. Okay, fine. But why? What's he actually offering? Right. Uh, you know, help? Or what does that mean? What is he like, you know, offering you shelter? Is he taking you to his tribe? Or, it's Rage Al Ghul. That's what it is. Oh, so <laughs> maddening. <laughs> that's, who, that's who he runs into, into the, yeah. in, the, uh, in the middle of the blizzard. Uh, Just what happens I, to have a Lazarus pit there. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. When he wakes up, it's from it's him coming out of Lazarus Pit. Yeah. Uh, the opening is very Ride the Lightning to me. Um, yeah, it is a little, yeah. And yeah. it underscored something. that, But it's like a Ride the Lightning opening and then a Black Album tempo and sound. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a lot of Metallica in this band to me as I listen to them. Both nods to the old school stuff that we grew up with, but also the Black Era in many ways, and people will probably kill me for saying this, but I felt like this thing that we argue about all the time with Metallica, this this departure of their sound, in, or maybe not even a departure, but the way that Metallica's sound evolved in a way that I didn't like, and the way that I wish it would have evolved. There is a lot of the way that I wish it would have evolved in Amon Amarth. Like, I feel like had Metallica kept on a trajectory that I wanted them to stay on through Injustice for All and Black and Beyond, there's a lot of this sound in it, if that right. makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like this, this, this is, to me, in, in some ways, this is the band for people who, after Black, got off of the Metallica bandwagon. Because... Yeah, I can... Yeah. I feel like it just retains the 
heaviness of that black era Metallica sound when they without w- the blues. Yeah, without the blues, it's, it, that's exactly it. Like that, and maybe that's what clicked with me with this album when I when I really started digging into it. Is like it, there was this part of me that was like, "This is what I've been looking for," and I couldn't right. put words to it. Like this is the sound that I wanted Metallica to evolve into. Maybe not uh, from a lyric, from a vocal standpoint or something, but this this is where I wanted them to go because it brought back some of the speed and it kept that that bottom that finally full sound that they got when they got to the black album. And this the is kind of where I wanted them to go. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say about this album is it is 100% metal. You know, it's a bit like the Exodus oh, album. Damn. There, there, is, there is no blues. There is no swing. There is, this is just straight up and down metal. It's relentless. Um, yeah, it really is. You know, and that, and that's to its credit. I mean, you know, I'm not knocking that at all. I like that. Even though I don't have the problem with the sort of bluesy sound of modern Metallica that, that you do, uh, but this album absolutely just has none of that at all. It is one hundred percent metal. Like I feel like um, that. Like if you put this album in, if you listen to Metallica's discography through Black, and then put this album in, it that, would sound like a logical progression. It maybe, sounds like yeah. a, that's that is really it. Really does to me sound like a logical progression of where that band could have went. Um, so that could I just have. find that I mean, very I think, interesting. I think I like load more than you. So, you know, I was actually quite glad that they didn't, but <laughs> you know what? I, I feel like the longer we've done the show and in re in listening to the new Metallica that I, uh, I need to go back and listen to load again. Cause I was pretty dismissive of it when it came out, uh, off the bat and did not care for it, but there are some great songs in that. Yeah, album. I, I still rate it as a, as a, one of their best albums. But anyway, anyway. But I feel uh, that Metallica. here. So Wanderer, <laughs> Wanderer to me, Ride the Lightning opening, and then Black yeah. Era, you know, sort of. Uh, well, and we even get that same, the the guitar phrase that opens, the sort of Ride the Lightning-esque phrase that opens the song. We get that again at the end. Uh, yes. In clean, in clean guitar, sort of repeating out to fade. And I like that. That is a nice uh, dynamic shift. This you is know, also, away from the sort of the first two songs and leads well into the next one. I think. I think this this uh, song too is where I really feel like the symbol work is just uh, the the ping of the symbol as it follows along during the chorus and stuff like that is just really really uh, just such a nice touch. And I like the solo on this song when when he's saying. Um, you know, when the Wanderer returns, we just talked about that. Left alone, I had no choice but to accept my fate. And the the tone is very sort of somber and, and just sort of crushing at that point. And then he says, when the Wanderer returned, then I knew my life was saved. And you sort of have this soaring, brief solo. It's not a very long solo, but it's this sort of soaring. You can feel the hope in it. And I just feel like it really punctuates that um, that sort of revelatory moment of, he thought all hope was lost, and now here comes a helping hand sort of thing. See, I wish there was a lot more soaring uh, on this album in general, given that it is supposed to be a sort of epic narrative concept album. I wish there was a lot more of that. And this song, again, is a kind of... Uh, this is one of the ones that I would have rated, you know, I would rate as like a B-list yeah. song, which is not to say, again, that it's bad. No, I'm not saying it's Zed list, <laughs> um, but it just, it could be so much better. And one of the ways it could be better is in the verse, the, those ringing chords, just, just add something, just add something like an extra chord or an uplift or something at the end of like the second line of each verse. And then, yeah, you know, something in the 
chorus as well, just to bring it up a little, or or drive it down. Sure. It doesn't have to necessarily go up, you know, it could go down, but it just feels like the whole thing is kind of on a level. Well, uh, and I think you know what, what I mean what, with no with very few peaks and valleys. Yeah, I like that they. I, I feel like they dress it up a bit with you know the extra chugs and things like that. But I understand what you're saying, and is that it's sort of on. It it doesn't leave that level, um, except for maybe the brief solo that you have there. It's very Walking Dead in in terms that what we should be uh, realizing by song two here is that this story is going to be a sad story and it is not going to have a happy ending because I think you, you know, you, you're, <laughs> you're seeing these brief moments of hope and it's like watching the walking dead. Like there's maybe five seconds of, uh, a reason to care about anything in that show before it returns to everything is screwed. It's awful. Um, it's just going to continue to get worse from here. And I think that, you know, we're thinking that this guy's on the hero's journey. He's not, this is just no, a, a momentary <laughs> respite from, what is going to be a very sad end for him and every single person that he comes into contact with pretty much. So, um, so yeah. All right. So yeah, as I said, we've got that kind of acoustic, not acoustic, but clean guitar repeating phrase, uh, to close out this song, which as I say, I I do like, that's nice. Um, and it leads, as I say, I think it's a really good lead into the next song, which is track three on a sea of blood. Which to me, narratively, is like a fever dream. This is him sort of having a dream about his own destiny, is what right. I took away from it. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, drifting alone upon the dragon ship, eerie still, no winds that tear or whip. Um, this actually, I mean, it starts like a really good, really good thrash song. Like, it's fast, good riff. The riff actually reminds me a little of Bullet for My Valentine, uh, which... Is not a comparison that I expected to make, but there you go. Um, For me, it was Blackened from Metallica. That's that's oh, what I yeah. it, it, sort of that married with a healthy dose of Iron Maiden. Ah, well, I uh, know there's a, there's another song that I think is is the Maiden song uh, further on, but I, I guess I can see it in this. But what I was going to say was, um, frankly, this is my favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think the chorus musically is great. I almost wish that he sang it rather than growled, but I don't know whether he can actually sing. Um, Because they have the lead solo playing, you know, what should basically be the vocal melody uh, in the chorus in this. And I really like that. It's a good post-chorus breakdown. It's got some time changes, some really good dynamics. It has that lovely key change at the end of the guitar solo you get this little lead line playing the chorus lead, but in a different key, 
and then it goes into the chorus, right. returning to the regular key. That is fucking great. Oh, it's More great. of that, please. You know, that is, that is interesting. That is exciting. It is dynamic. Uh, it's a really good guitar solo as well. The whole thing, there's just something about this track. I'm like, yeah, this is, hands down, this is my favorite track on the album. And it's basically like him uh, seeing Nidhogg and, and realizing that his fate is not going to be, it, it's a sort of a very uh, foreboding sort of dream because Nidhogg right. being the the dragon who basically uh eats the bodies of the murderers and rapists and oath breakers and all that kind of stuff and and that's the dream he's having is that he's having this confrontation with Nidhogg. And so again, when I was first listening to it, I'm still not getting the message that this is not going to end well for him, but <laughs> that's yeah. that's what we're seeing in song 3 here. Like all signs point to poor ending for everyone. Um but he, by the well, end of the song, he decides that he's going to embrace. If this is as the as the baseline sort of fades out at the end, he's saying, um, you know, if this is if this is my fate, then so be it. Yeah, well, and even the chorus, you know, the the chorus lyrics out on this bloody sea, I'll face my destiny. Lost in a dreadful dream, I'll meet my fate. Out on this blood sea, this is my prophecy. A notion of what's to be, there's no escape. I mean, like you say, this is. You know, that's not subtle. This right. is not going to end well. <laughs> Brace myself. It's coming. Stand ready. Like, he's he's just accepting that this is, you know, this is what yeah. he has to face and he's just going to deal yeah. with it. But yeah, musically, I just think this is such a good track. Um, the, I, if I was, you know, sort of musically, if I was uh, doing the order of this track, I would have made this track too, to be honest. Uh, oh, interesting. I, just, yeah. I think it's so strong. Um I mean, obviously, you'd have had to change the lyrics around and stuff, but musically, it's so strong that, yeah, I think it should be closer to the opener. So I feel like, narratively, these first three songs are his sort of exile, right? He commits this horrible act, he goes on the run, he almost dies on this journey, and he realizes that this is his that this is his fate that's coming up, and he's going to embrace it. Songs four, five, and six, I feel like, are almost a new concept coming in and it's basically about here's these yams vikings here's what here's how they bring in new members here's what their way of life is like here's how they uh celebrate victory and mourn their lost ones and all that kind of stuff so the next three songs i think conceptually is almost like and here's what the yams vikings are like because you come in with song four and it's one against all And it's not clear to me as you're listening to it, like 
if we're even talking about the main character here. It almost feels like what we're talking about is, here's how the Yams Vikings recruit new members. They kill everybody, and the last person left standing is offered an opportunity to join them or to be killed as well. And so they bring a new potential recruit into their mix by taking the last one left standing from people that they that they conquer or ships that they destroy or whatever the case may be. That's what I took from this song. And, and it could certainly be saying that this is what happened to this guy, but we just left a song where he's wandering around alone or maybe has one friend in the entire world. And this song seems to be more about um, a group of, of people who get attacked by the young Vikings and one is left standing. So to me, it wasn't exactly clear if it was his particular story or if it's just saying, this is how the Yams Vikings recruit new members. You could be right. I mean, I, I hadn't considered that, actually. I had assumed that this was, that he'd fallen in with the Yams Vikings and, you know, this was from his point of view about an invasion that he'd taken part in with them. But that oh, doesn't make also, much sense. Yeah, totally. Well, but that doesn't actually make much sense because then you kind of you know, you're missing out a whole chunk of the narrative if that's the case. So you might be right, actually. I don't know. Um, I hadn't considered that, but it makes more sense, frankly, if you can, if you, yeah, as you say, say, okay, we're actually going to move away from that now and look at, you know, some other group of Vikings or whatever. This song you know, feels really said, heavy to just, me. Narratively, it, it doesn't hold together all that well, but, but conceptually it's good. And, uh, I, the opening riff, which is also the chorus riff in this, I think is they, that is one of the best riffs oh, totally. on the album. Yep. Yeah, brutal. It's a really good one. And I also, I love the the call and response in the chorus. Yes. Um, but this is one where the, the lead solo, again, the lead solo line in the chorus is basically playing the melody almost uh, that the singer, you know, that the vocalist isn't doing because he's growling. Um, but it would benefit. This is another one that I think would benefit from something just a little extra, just a note change here or there to lift it or send it down, just something to make it kind of soar and sing. Uh, and I think I, I do like this track. It's one of the strongest of the like non-A-list tracks, but there is just something missing for me. Yeah, it's very anthemic, right? So you know, it's a fist in the air sort of, uh, sort of the, in the image that it conjures of like a guy literally just continuing to battle while all of his friends are killed around him, and then having to join the people that just sort of conquered him. Yeah, uh, yeah. is is pretty strong stuff there. And the riff itself feels very uh, sludgy to me, which is in a good way. Yeah, it just feels really sludgy. And there's a there almost every song has this, but there here again, there's this galloping inevitable nature to the drums that just continues to grind this story forward that I really, I just, I, I sort of like that. It's almost like there's no, there's no looking back. It just continues to move forward. And I, that, that feel to me almost carries through the entire record as it goes through. But, but yeah, so now we're, we're, we're with the arms Vikings, um, and you're starting. Oh, actually, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking through my notes. No, I, I maybe I had had a similar thought. I'm just looking through my notes, and one of the things I've got is, I wish they didn't shift point of view for this one. The l- lyrics being done from third person instead of first messes with the concept narration. And then I've got in parentheses. Although, wait, is this even meant to be the same guy? So <laughs> I did have the same thought. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, so maybe that is it. Yeah. But your notes are are totally right on point because if that's not what we're meant to think here then the shifting of perspectives had the wrong effect. 
because yeah, now we're questioning absolutely. is yeah, it even about confusing. this guy or if it's yeah you know so but i almost feel like if we're watching a movie it's cut to the yams vikings and you're getting to see like oh these are the guys he's going to fall in with now and this is how they operate because as we roll into the next song which well, is and this is how they celebrate yeah <laughs> is the radio friendly and and i don't know if you've seen the video for this but it's got a cameo of like every metal person that's out there now it must be like everybody that they've been on tour with at festivals and stuff like that they sort uh, of have thrown up horns we could put a link to it in the um we, uh, i hadn't seen that we should just say this is track 5 raise your horns Right. This is their this is the anthem off of this album. Now the 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 actual riff itself, um, when it goes dent it dent dent it dan out I love the sound of that riff. I really, really love the sound of that riff. Um but to me that's all this song has going for it. Because it it comes across as like a you know, like a like a sailor song. You know, it's a it's song. Sing along, the Viking. Yeah, exactly. It's a song that you'd sing on the ship. You know, as they're drinking. Yeah. It, you know, and and um, celebrate. So in that way, it fits the narrative. But of all the songs in this album, this is the one song that doesn't totally do it for me. Okay, now this isn't the same. That isn't the same song that I was uh, referring to then. But this is th- this is not you know a favorite of mine for sure uh it's kind of low-hanging fruit it's really it is. i mean it's it feels like a song that was designed for live shows which isn't necessarily a bad thing um it, you know because it just feels yeah like a singer longer oh, and, and i all, um, i also feel like this song is the one where the the accusations of selling out if you're going to hurl them at one particular song like this feels this like that song, song where yeah. they're like oh geez that's a little bit uh that's a little bit Pirates of the Caribbean for you guys. <laughs> I mean, it even has that oh, it, it totally crowd, does, yeah. Crowd singing bit, you know, you can just imagine them. They've probably already done it this year since the album came out, you know, at festivals. Oh, they did it at the Mic- show I saw. Microphone saw pointed at the crowd, right, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is the sing-along track. Without a doubt. But, but in that respect, why not have crowd singing in the actual chorus? That, again, like, missed opportunity right. for me. Can you imagine how great that would sure. sound if there was a whole crowd actually singing the chorus? Or, uh, towards the end, the music drops out a little, and the singer, what's his name, Johan, is uh, is just growling the chorus by himself, and you've got the... Which I'm pretty sure, the... if I remember correctly, they had us do at the show that I saw them right. at. Right, yeah, and know that's what I, mean? I was going to say. Imagine if that was a crowd right. singing a cappella instead, and then the music crashes back in. That would be fucking awesome right and it again just feels like a you know 
so close <laughs> so close <laughs> yeah and uh, but i feel like again if we're taking these three middle songs as the concept of like here's the yams vikings here's what they're all about it fits within that concept of like oh it, it works yeah. absolutely yeah. You, yeah you've seen them this is how they recruit people they basically whittle them down to one and then offer them a chance to join their crew here's how they celebrate victories in battle and here's how they mourn their lost ones and then as we roll into song six, which is the way of Vikings. Here's how they prove that you're worthy to be called a Yams Viking. Right, right. Here is how we practice. I mean, they literally say, you know, full on fighting training. It's the way of Vikings. I mean, you know, right. And basically, again, you know, it, it's a fight to the death to prove that you're worthy to be here. And so the one yeah. that's left standing gets to be part of our crew. And so this is the one where I was almost thinking, now, are we back to the main character and the wanderer? Right. And is it yeah. the wanderer and the main character who have to fight to the death and the main character has to kill the person that helped him to become one of the Yams Vikings? And again, I might be adding, you know, more to the story than is here, but that's kind of what I started to think is that. So it's the main character and this wanderer that helped him and he has to kill this guy in order to prove that he's worthy to be part of the Yams Vikings. I hadn't considered that, but that would make sense. I hadn't even tried to make sense, to be honest, of this track in terms of the overall narrative by this point i was just like yeah i'm i have no idea what's happening anymore you know and it says um, uh, in this fight of iron wills <laughs> one man takes a knee the other goes in for the kill like an enemy and so y- you can assume through that uh this is a battle of of uh life and death oh sure sure and i mean you know it emphasizes early on that these two men are best friends not enemies right but that again like makes me think, well would it then be the viking and the wanderer are they yeah. best friends really you know it's uh whatever but the um, whole part where where they're you know he's screaming faster stronger and the riff is climbing like that is awesome right i was gonna say that to me like, i i love the big epic intro on this one uh you know with a bit of keyboards i mean i don't care if it's keyboards guitar whatever sure just like more of that would have been good i think uh because it is it really does feel like you know big and epic and okay we're leading into something you know something powerful here but then yeah the best thing about it for me is that pre-chorus bridge the faster stronger bit because it's i mean it's powerful and it's aggressive uh but it has an unusual and sort of interesting melody, some interesting chord changes, and that third phrase, when it just suddenly changes key completely and then descends, that is really interesting. And that, to me, is actually more interesting than the actual chorus, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but I, that's, that's yeah, the I best the, part of the I song I actually think me. the chorus is the weakest part of the song in this particular song. 
Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's catchy. It is catchy because I've caught myself singing. But it's it. almost but, has that swashbuckly nature that I don't think that they mean to capture here. You know what I mean? Because we're talking about Vikings killing each other in practice in order to right. sort of prove. Right. So it's not this kind this of. This is like, not Captain Jack Sparrow yep, swinging. Hey, across we're the main, all Vikings yeah. here, and we have fun <laughs> practicing, and one of us is dead. You know, so like it, it's a little. T- the chorus almost comes off as a little too lighthearted for the subject matter, which is basically like you have to kill your best friend in order to show that you're strong enough to be with us. Yeah, and so yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a confused uh track i think um uh however at track seven at dawn's first light freaking song is amazing this is not confused in the slightest this is well the opening speech for a start makes me think that i've put it on a rammstein track oh my god mistake. but it's so good <laughs> doesn't it sound like till lindemann it really does dude um but this track is thunder. so iron maiden this is so iron maiden this track everything about it yep. from the chorus solo the mid late solo even the rhythm is like feels like a steve harris rhythm the whole thing you know that guitar starting it off it's just like oh my god oh it's yeah it's basically run to the hills it's, yeah track. totally yeah uh and and even run to the hills run for your lives and we start with run for your lives right so yeah. like <laughs> but that's that was my biggest note on this song is so iron maiden but in a but like iron maiden oh, in a good way yeah yeah in the heaviest form that it could ever possibly be like that that opening just drums and low riff is just crushing and then it cuts out and and it has that feeling of like them sort of skulking through the morning mist as dawn's first light kind of arrives i just i love the imagery that it evokes i love the the way this song is executed that the the drums on this song are just like freaking and again this is a song where i feel like the cymbal work is amazing because when they're singing the chorus he's tinging that cymbal um in a way that just like it's so good it's so so good like this this song is perfect in my mind I, I wouldn't go that far, but it is one of the standout tracks for me on the album. It's uh, just mainly just because it is, yeah, it is like listening to a, a heavier version of Iron Maiden. <laughs> which is, I mean, it, that sounds which like... Which is no bad thing. That sounds like, would you like more hot fudge on your Sunday? Yes, please. Right. Of course I would. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Who, do, who doesn't want... Would you want extra pepperoni on your pizza? Yes, please. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's freaking awesome. I, and, I, and I like the solo here, too. Again, it's not... It's not super long, 
there's some harmonizing in it and it sort of captures that feel of where the song is at. I, I really like that. But it, in conceptually, I feel like we've moved into now the main character is part of the Yams Vikings and the journey back to the woman that he left has begun. And you're seeing them yeah. as they battle through different, as they're, you know, whether they're invading places, he's making his way back to her. And this is the beginning of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the solo, again, the solo is totally maiden. The solo is just like, it's, it's Yannick Gares. They may as well have just shipped Yannick into the studio to play that solo. It's, it's so good uh, though. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's great. I'm not knocking it. I love it, but it's, I'm listening to it go like, yeah, it's a maiden solo. It's amazing. <laughs> and just the lyrics, the ships bring terror to these shores, death and all out war. Their oars are cutting through the waves like spades are digging graves. Come on. Yeah, that's a good line. Oh, yeah. so good. So good. Uh, and, then, right, and then into track eight, 1,000 Burning Arrows. He will be missed by all. His heart has now been stilled. Tonight he'll dine in Odin's hall. There he'll drink his fair. I don't, it's not that I don't like this song, and there's a part of this song that I think is great, but I think that it stumbles a tiny bit with the momentum that the lost song just gave you. Because here, it's a it's a song of it's a it's a you know a funeral march basically. It's it's them you know mourning the death of of their leader, um, and it reminds me very much of my friend Misery from Metallica. That totally, oh wow! Really, no, no, no. really hits that for me. No, man. What my friend of misery is one of my favorite tracks off that album. I love that song. This is this is the Z list song for me. This is so boring. So I just insulted uh, you by comparing it to that song, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, no, don't yeah, ever yeah. say that again. Yeah, I just this whole song, there is nothing interesting about it. And it's such a shame because, yeah, lyrically, narratively, it should be great. And it should also be up my alley. You know, this is kind of like the sort of the doom metal sort of subject that you know could be given such a great treatment um but but it just doesn't it does nothing at all for me this track it doesn't even end well no it's but just I like everybody think the middle, it's like everyone just decided to stop playing and put down their instruments i think it's, the imagery <laughs> uh, there is one part of the song that i really that really does that saves this song for me well two things number one is the is the you know the imagery but number two is the part where he it changes and he's singing into flames where the ship bursts into flames and it starts to burn and it starts to break apart and it sinks down into the waves like that part of the song where it changes to me i thought was they did a nice job of conveying the emotion of like them watching this happen you know what i mean as as they're losing their leader and sort of mourning him and, and the ship bursts into flames because they shoot all the arrows in and light it a flame and that kind of stuff i thought that was cool yeah it seemed that didn't do anything for me emotionally and this gets back to what i was saying about vocalists uh in the like he's not a very expressive 
vocalist. Uh, you know, his growl is kind of monotone and doesn't have a whole lot of emotion in it. And I think this is, I think that's a particular point where that lets him down because you're right. That should have been, that should be a really sort of powerful, you know, cry of anguish or whatever emotional point of the song. And I feel it isn't because his vocals are too limited and I don't feel any emotion behind them. Um, yeah, and the whole track, as I say, unfortunately for me, just kind of, it, it, it sags. This is the track that I would just strip off the album, uh, and I don't think you would feel its absence. If we had to get rid of one tune, I would not fight you on that. I think this song and, um, you know, the the sailor song, uh, Raise Your Horns, are the two... <laughs> the sailor song. Are the two um, <laughs> songs, to me, that don't live up to the rest of them, but what I do think that this song does is clear the way for what is a, a just a truly epic final three songs of the album. Um, well, it certainly clears the way. Okay, yeah, for track nine, Vengeance is My Name. is a much better track oh dude it's a thrasher it's it's uh the way this story plays out in my head is you now have our main character who as he is fighting battles to slowly make his way back to the woman that he believes is going to be waiting for him uh this is just he he's become single-minded at this point he is now on a collision course with his goal you know, and so this whole yeah, vengeance he's obsessive. Is, yeah, exactly. And so this is him just cleaving through everyone on his way to get to her. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a really I, again. This is a, a like one of the top sort of B list tracks for me on this one. It is has a good riff, uh, some really good, nice, interesting chords, uh, good fast tempo. Thank goodness, you know, back to some speed. Um, the chorus is fine. Uh, I like the lead over the end of the middle eight. Uh, and what I mean by that is like the very end of the middle eight, you get like a bit of, you know, um, the bridge and a bit of solo. And then you get a lead over the end, which really, we're talking about soaring, really kind of soars before it then comes back to the final verse. And that I think is one of the best pieces of guitar work on the album. Um, I think I don't they, think the rest of this track quite lives up to it, but it is a good track. The symbol work. This is another one where you can hear the pinging on, uh, you right. know, as as he's going through the chorus. To me, it's so so freaking good. Uh, and just the when he's screaming, the you know the 
the chorus at the end, this is my sword. Just so good. Like, I, I love everything about that. It, it's basically Conan Berserker rage song. And <laughs> what's better than that? Like, just, I, I can picture Arnold just slicing through, you know, a bunch of people as we, uh, as we get here. So, yeah, yeah solid top to bottom. It, it is. It, yeah. I mean, solid is a good way, I think, of describing that track. Like I say, for me, it's not a standout track, but it is absolutely solid. There's nothing bad about it and there is one particular part that i think is really good so um and then yes okay so it leads into what i know is your favorite track on the album uh a dream that cannot be I will tell you right now, I literally teared up the first time Doro started singing on this song. Like the first time I really listened to it, first of all, how awesome is that, that they got Doro freaking Pesh to sing on this album and they kept, they waited, they waited until track 10 to just I think unleash- that's what amazes me more than anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, Doro doing a collaboration actually isn't that unusual. She does a lot of guest vocals and collaborations deliberately. Like it's something she enjoys. She said that she enjoys doing and she seeks out the opportunity to do it, which I think is, is commendable. Um, but yeah, it's more than that to me, as you say, is the fact that they don't use her until the penultimate track. That's kind of amazing, you know that 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 actually shows quite a bit of restraint and taste. Oh my god! And this just like again, the story is simple enough, but I feel like it's just executed so freaking well. And when you've when as you said, like in terms of his growls, like there's not a ton of range there. Like you you've had nine songs of his delivery to this point, and basically his delivery is the main character's delivery, right? So you've had you're sort of in the head of that main character. And then to just hear her side of the story is freaking awesome and heartbreaking at the same time. Because of course, what we learn is that, you know, he, he ends up, he goes out, he becomes this great warrior. He comes back and fights his way to her. And she is, has moved on from him a long time ago. Yeah. She's like, what? No, dude, I've got my own. Exactly. (laughs) Like, but how, I mean, there's so many. It's such a great slap in the face to that trope, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go save the princess now, and I'm going to fight my way back to the woman I love and rescue her because she needs to be rescued. And Dora's like, look at me. You can see that I'm free. My life is mine, not yours. So leave me be. I mean, that's just... Yeah. I don't need rescuing. It's so... And it's Doro Pesh singing that. You know what I mean? Like, 
the this this icon of metal, especially during a time where she was one of the only female icons of metal, and the fact that she's still around and she's still doing this, like she, it to, to me, it, her her casting in this role is just perfect for a million different reasons, and uh, it, it is great. Yeah, it's oh, got so um. I'll, it has a really unusual rhythm, this track as well, which I think is because again, given that it is the only track with her on it, it would have been easy to make it well, a ballad for a start. For sure. Uh, right. You know, which thank God they didn't. They go it, the exact it, opposite. Right, but the temptation would have been there, I'm sure. And it would have been really easy to also because, you know, let's be honest, Doro I like Doro Pesh, but she is not you know, a sort of death metal, heavy, extreme grinding musician. That's not what she does. Um, you know, it's fair. What she does is heavy compared to some other female solo uh, metal musicians sure. but or rock, rock musicians, but it's not extreme stuff. So again, it would have also been very easy for them to do a straight ahead, you know, simple rhythm rock track and just rely on her vocals to kind of, to lift it up. But instead, it's actually musically quite a challenging track with an unusual rhythm, some very interesting interplay between them, some strange rhythmic phrasing on the chorus, especially. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this again, this is one of the top three tracks on the album for me. And, and I love how it backs off when she's singing, like the, the whole, uh, composition gets cleaner when she sings as well so her voice comes up like and again high fives to andy sneep on this one like he he just perfectly captured the the tone and the sound of this song in the mix like it's just it's it's super well executed i agree the uh, the only sort of downside if you like is that because this track works so well it really emphasizes to me how many other tracks on this album would benefit from some actual singing. Um, and I am not one of these like, oh, you know, I hate growling. I wish they'd sing people. Anybody who knows my tastes knows that that's not the case. And, you know, in many cases, quite the opposite. But this is one album, especially given that it is, you know, relatively melodic, that I really think would benefit from some actual singing in a few places just to take it to that next level. Right. No, I don't disagree with you. Like, I, I, like, I think of the... Um, Queensryche album, Operation Mindcrime, where you had Sister Mary, who was the the female character in that, and she appears on a couple of different uh, songs there. To me, they could have used Doro a little bit more without it being overkill. Right. And I think it yeah. would have worked right, like they could have used her in the very beginning, right? When you have that first interaction between our main character and the woman that he loves, and, and that would have been an interesting place to use her. But the fact that we don't see her until now just makes her a revelation, you know? And so oh, it's sure. it like no, just so. That's absolutely commendable. And I, like I said, I think that shows great sort of taste and restraint, but even if it wasn't her, just somebody, right, right. you know, singing in a few parts on the rest of the album in some other choruses and some other sections, I think really would have lifted it. Um, so if, if, uh, I've forgotten his name again, Johan. Yeah. Um, if if he can sing, then I wish he had. Right. <laughs> and if he can't, then, you know, I don't know, maybe do some crowd singing or something with the other members of the band. I just think there's a few places where it really would have benefited. I love the middle, the frantic middle confrontation 
in this song where he finally reaches her and she ends up pulling a knife on him because he tries to take her physically away with him. Yes. Uh, yes. Fantastic. And then as we get to the end of the song, to like so emotionally powerful where she's just screaming at him, can't you see I am free? Like so good. Like just his his sort of shock and awe over his entire perspective on the world has been shattered at this point. And yeah. for her, and I love the way they trade lines oh, as well in the, in that so final chorus, uh, final verse, I should say. Yeah. I literally, I get goosebumps just talking about it. Like this song, I've probably heard it 50 times now. It has not, it has lost nothing in terms of its edge for me. Like I, th- this is probably one of my favorite all time metal songs just because of how well it's, it's done. So, and it's a play within itself, right? So, to go yeah. back to the stuff we talked about with Halloween, like this is one song itself that if this was the only song on the album that told a story, it tells a great story. Oh, it does. Right. That's the other thing. You don't actually need to know the rest right. of the story. Like the, the whole thing is contained in here. Yep. Awesome. Which is really good. Yeah. All right. And then finally, the track clo- the album closer, track 11, back on Northern Shores. Yep, I mean, how else could it end? But he sort of goes back out to battle with nothing to live for, right? Except for yeah. the possibility of one last stroke of revenge. Right, and I mean, narratively, like I said, I appreciate a good tragedy, and I appreciate that this is a tragedy, but that was, narratively, this is very confusing, because uh, I can't actually tell from the lyrics whether he kills the Earl or not. And, like, what's the Earl doing out on a battlefield anyway when he's... I don't know, the whole thing is just very, again, quite confusing. Um, but musically, I think this is quite a good one. Uh, I The opening minute and 15 with the wailing overlay guitars and you, there's some space breathing into the drums, that's really atmospheric. Oh, yeah. Um, it's almost a shame when they drop out of that and go back into the thrashy bits because that's so atmospheric. If the whole final track was like that i wouldn't complain you know i think that would actually be quite fitting i feel like the chaos of the battle is captured really well in this song though you know because it continues to escalate until the point where he ends up getting killed that's true it, when, the, yeah the, the whole battle section the double time bit with yeah. the guitars going 10 to the dozen that is very good actually yeah. and the way that i had it sort of pictured in my head is the they're they're the invading force there right and so he goes and he fights his way to the woman that he loves and he finds out that she you know basically has completely moved on from him he goes back out and i and it almost felt to me like they're his his gang 
sort of starts to sail out and they're and they're cut back off by the rest of the army. And so because it sounds like the last battle takes place on the water and so the ships sort of crash together, they, you know, they have this big climactic battle and he almost gets to his father and ends up getting killed before he can kill his father and he sort of sinks into the waves and the last thing that he sees is his dad's face as he's sort right, of sinking down. Is it down. his father who kills him? That Again, that's not clear I at all. I interpreted it to be, but you're absolutely right. It's not clear. But it, it seemed to me like, you know, that the, 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 the Vikings came in, they, they fought this battle. Doesn't seem like they were totally successful. They sort of start to leave, and then they find that they're cut off from leaving, and then the final battle ensues is kind of how I pictured it in my head. And so he takes this one last opportunity, because he has nothing to live for, to try and... and uh, and get his revenge on his father for disowning him and fall short of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that probably is the correct interpretation. As I say, I was just, you know, rather confused, but I, Um, I love the way that, but it's a good closer. It is. And, and it's because it's, there is this mournful, you know, vibe to the entire song. And then as the song fades out at the end and it's a long fade out, um, you just have this vision of him sinking below the waves, like his body just that, that if you're watching a movie, like the camera would be below him as he sinks towards the camera, you know, under the water. And to me, like that's, that's just an epic way to end the story. Right. Well, and, uh, and Freya appearing right, out and of the light spirit, and yep. beckoning him into Valhalla. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that that's a nice image to end on. Right. Which is as close to a happy ending as he's going to get, but, but, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> but yeah. And it, and it, it bookends the story in just such a great way that it makes me want to listen to the whole thing all over again. Yeah. I mean, as I said at the start, I, you know, there is nothing, well, apart from one track, which I think, you know, as, as we said, I think is a bit of a letdown, but really there's nothing bad about this album at all. And there are some standout moments on it. I just, and I will listen to it again. No question. You know, I'm not, it will stay in my rotation. I just, yeah, I can't help listening to the whole thing and thinking, ah, oh, it could be, this could actually be one of my favorite albums of the year. If they had just been more melodic, ironically, you know, if they'd sold out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it is my favorite album of the year. And that is over Megadeth and over Anthrax and over Metallica and over Suicidal Tendencies. Like it is from, it has become my favorite album of the year. And uh, above Megadeth and Suicidal, I mean, that's, that's serious. huge, absolutely huge for me. And it, and it really has, uh, it has become that. Now I did see these guys in concert on the 12th of October. So a little over a month ago, with Megadeth and with Metal Church, um, they played three songs from this album. They played First Kill, and then they played On a Sea of Blood, which I believe comes right... Oh, no, that's song three, right? So they played That's the song fir- three. The- that's my favorite song yeah. on the album. So they played yeah. On a Sea of Blood right after First Kill, and then they played a couple different songs, and then their second-to-last song was the anthem Raise Your Horns, and they did have a lot of crowd participation during that. Now, what's cool is they have a huge longship that is the centerpiece of their stage and they are constantly <laughs> <course> they do. <laughs> the drummer is on the ship and then they have stairs going up both sides of the ship and they're constantly sort of going back and forth but these guys do the whole uh and, and the, the way their lighting works it's like lightning on the stormy seas so they do a really good job of presenting like this this sort of viking imagery and boy do they have the whole 
standing equidistant and spinning your hair around as you jam thing down like a science. Right. These guys do that better than any band that I've seen in a long time. So they put on a great show. I was blown away by how much of the crowd was there to see Amon Amarth. Like, oh, right. they have a rabid fan base. And I would say a fan base that is as much female as it is male. Like, a ton of Amon Amarth t-shirts I saw at this show people like super getting into i would say definitely uh they were right there with megadeth in terms of why people came to the show and it was kind of cool to see so they put on a great show i would absolutely see them again and it just sort of reinforced what i was already starting to think about this band so yeah i mean this i I would happily see them live i will say that yeah even having only listened to this one album it gave me the distinct impression and knowing that they've been around so long that i'm sure they are very very tight as a as a live performance um that yeah i would happily see them live because it gave me the distinct impression that they would be a really good band and a good time kind of band yes. live. a bit like maiden yeah like nobody nobody goes to a maiden show and spends the whole time gritting their teeth and spitting you or, know? or sitting Everybody- down you know what i mean like <laughs> right. they're, they're not well, a, a band that you passively listen to right right but what i mean more than that is the like unlike say a pantera show like Everybody is just furious the whole time. Uh, and a Maiden show, everybody is throwing the horns and smiling and shouting the whole time. And I kind of get the impression that a monomath would be on that oh, side of the equation. Yeah, they're, they're the whole... Uh, it comes across live as empowerment. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's right, happy right. to be there. Everybody's happy to be celebrating together and stuff like that. And and that, uh, that sort of... Um, Feeling of brotherhood. Yes, without a doubt. Absolutely. Which you, which you do get at Maiden shows. I mean, that's one of the things that Maiden have always been really good at live is that sense of community and the whole audience just feels like, you know, we're all there, we're all in this together, let's have a great time. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely how they come across live. So it was a, it was a great show. And of the bands that we saw, that was my son's favorite band because my wife's family, is they're all Swedish. And so oh. <laughs> this really clicked. This was like a revelation to him. He was like, wow, I really like these guys, Dad. So, uh, and he's, you know, as we're driving back and forth to his uh, Catholic school, we're listening to Amon Amarth every morning and afternoon uh, as I bring him to the come up from school. So he's, oh, uh, I am so tempted now. I have a Swedish band in my list of, you know, sort of albums to pick. And I am now so tempted to pick that one just so that you can play it to your son. Uh, (laughs) But I am, well, hang on, before we get to that, before we get to that, uh, let us just close out by saying, uh, as always, to everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, Remember, if you enjoy the show, please do spread the word, tell your friends, rate us on iTunes. And of course, you can support us directly by going to patreon.com slash thrash it out and uh, pledging us a dollar or more per show. Uh, every little bit helps, as a certain uh, retailer says here in the UK. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can go to thrashitoutpodcast.com for links to our email, uh, our Twitter accounts. And of course, you can join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. Uh, and there is lots and lots of very interesting uh, conversation going on there, not just about the show. You know, it's it really is a community where people just post 
band recommendations and opinions and you know conversations and whatever uh, we're barely even in charge of it really. there, there was a great conversation the other day about Bandcamp and bands that people have found yeah. on Bandcamp. like just it, it is really great and if you want to talk about the new metallic album there is a gigantic thread on that's the place to oh go my goodness it, yeah, yeah. It just and it's ongoing as we speak yeah okay so your homework uh yeah i am not going to choose uh the other switch i will keep them in my back pocket as it were uh instead and i think the next episode will be the last regular episode of volume two as well because uh, you kicked us off this year didn't you i believe i did um, yep. so this will be uh, the final episode of volume two and we are going to do uh one of my favorite albums from it's from the 90s again i'm sorry uh but it is one of my favorite albums and an album that kind of opened a lot of doors for me musically and that is the album individual thought patterns by death wow. from 1993 yeah i have never even heard a song off that album right have you heard anything by death at all uh, i have heard them here and there but never not even i haven't even heard one album of theirs so this is right. this i'm going in like 99% blind. Fantastic. Well, the only thing I'll tell you going in then, and the whole reason I bought this album on the strength of a review in Kerrang, uh, as I did quite a few albums in the 90s, actually, and, you know, some were good and some were not so good, uh, but I bought this one, having not heard anything by death at all, I bought this on the strength of the review that basically said, this is the birth of progressive death metal. And to an old prog rock fan like me, you were like, sign me up. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, not so much sign me up as like, that's interesting. Okay, I didn't think there could be such a thing as progressive death metal. Because up until that point, all I'd heard of death metal was, well, just, you know, blast beat, repetitive nonsense. Um, And, you know, and I love Napalm Death, but Napalm Death is not death metal. Let's not get into that. Um, So I was just like, can there be such a thing as progressive death metal? Turns out, yes, there can. And you can all thank Chuck Schuldner for basically pioneering it. Uh, And so, yeah, that is what we'll do on the next show. Individual Thought Patterns by Death. Uh, Go and listen to it and enjoy. And we will see you all. uh, Well, we'll try and get that out in December before the end of the year. Um, Because, yeah, because otherwise that would be a bit silly. So, uh, yeah, go forth and listen, and we will see you next time. See you later.